great to see uh, so many of you here. People that we've walked streets with, that we've canvassed with, people that we've been aware have been doing the same stuff that we've been doing over in St. Johnson and Rafaux and Convoy. It's just fantastic to, to see you here. Uh, thank you uh, for coming. And the words of what we're going to be looking at are actually this last song that we're going to be singing. It's Psalm 2. But I want to read them for us, first of all, from the Bible. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains they cry and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them in pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want us to think about this second psalm, Psalm 2, and it's helpful to have it on the sheet in front of us because you'll see where we're going. John has already mentioned how we might be feeling this evening. Might be feeling brokenhearted or discouraged or weary or disappointed or all of the above or perplexed, or puzzled, or questioning God. You've worked hard. You've walked many miles. You've climbed many lampposts, some of you. Uh, You've endured opposition. You've stood in the teeth of, I was going to say a media gale, but some of you have stood in the teeth of a gale as well. Storms and snow and wind and rain, out in the cold and dark, and those winter nights talking to people about this referendum and you've stood in the teeth of a media storm that has been entirely against you and yet it seems to have been for nothing. I want you to know this evening that your labour has not been in vain. Not simply that we were victorious by a small margin in Donegal but wider afield your labour has not been in vain. You have encouraged us You've inspired 
others. You have given backbone to many. You have caused people to think. You have inspired and challenged. And we, as a fellowship, both here in Letterkenny and in our church in Milford, have enjoyed serving alongside you. We hoped Ireland would be a beacon of light for the world. But it instead it has chosen to extinguish the light. And it would be easy to lose heart and to throw in the towel. And we mustn't. And there is much work to be done, much practical work, raising the profile of counselling and the provision of better alternatives. But that's for another evening. And it should be something that we talk about. But this is a night where we have set apart to hear from God's word. Because we need to hear his voice. Because his voice and his word provides anchoring truths for us in these troubled days. And we've sung a mixture of his songs this evening that speak into our time. And we want to look at this song. It's one of the two great opening songs in his book of songs. The first one, Psalm 1, speaks in a sense of the individual's perspective of living for God in this world. But this second song shows us a a global perspective. It gives us a glimpse behind the scenes. 3,000 years ago, a Hebrew poet, lyricist and songwriter captured brilliantly this sort of moment that we're facing. He helps us to live in a broken world so the brokenness doesn't break us, so that being disappointed doesn't lead to despair, and so that weariness doesn't lead to giving up. You'll see on the the page that the, the song has eight verses. It really divides up into four sections, two verses each. I want us to think of it this way. Imagine a TV presenter on the streets of a tiny little town they call the world. There is uproar in the castle courtyard and in the streets of the cities. People are roaring and shouting in triumph. Their voices are raised and their fists are shaking with glee. And the interviewer goes down into the crowd to speak to a number of people there. And he's going to interview some other people and get a series of opinions on what is happening. And there's four things, four things that are always true, that are true today as they were 3,000 years ago, that were true on Thursday, that were true on Friday morning, that are true today. First of all, we see that the heart is still the problem. The heart is still the problem. The interviewer gets down amongst the crowd and he starts to ask what's going on and he interviews the crowd. He's saying, what's all the hubbub for? What's the the, the plotting and the scheming? What's going on? And the people say, let us break their chains. Let us cast their cords away. You see it there in verse 2. What are they talking about? Well, they're plotting against the Lord Most High and against his Messiah. They're saying these laws are restrictive. These laws constrain us. We want freedom. We want choice. We want autonomy. And then the interviewer goes along to the princes and the rulers and the politicians of the day. They are gathered in a united nations of plotting and scheming. The kings of the earth rise up, we're told. They take their stand. Rulers are in league combined. And they're... The same thing. They want 
to rebel against God's ways, against God's authority. They don't like him. They don't want him. They want to be free. And they they caricature him. Caricature him as a slave driver. They want to be free of these cords, these chains, these shackles that hold us and restrain us. They see God as a cosmic spoil sport. The very heart of this problem is the desire to be free. If we want to understand what happened in the last few days, that's what we need to see. The human heart is still the problem with the same desire. We want to be free. Free to run our own lives, our own way. My body, my choice is the cry of a rebel. God gave us our bodies, we sang in Psalm 139. We're answerable to him. Autonomy is the cry of someone who doesn't want to be under authority. But like a train that wants to be free from the tracks, it's only going to end in disaster. And the point I want us to see right at the start of God's songbook and this song is, it's nothing new. It's helpful to see this result, yesterday's result for what it actually is. It's part of a long, long, long war against God. And so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised to see such rebellion. We need to see it for what it is. It's, it's a hatred of the king. Not simply that the other side had a better campaign. It's not simply that they had better backers and better access to the media. It's part of a shaking our fists at God. It's part of a rattling and wanting to be free of what is perceived to be God's chains. We need to become modern And break free from those old religious ways. Well it's Psalm 2 all over again. So don't despair. Nothing new has happened. The second truth that we need to be reminded of. Is that God is still in control. God is still in control. Look at the second set of of verses. Mark 3 and 4. The camera lens pulls back from that castle courtyard and, and zooms out and it takes in the crowd shaking their fists heavenwards and the plotting politicians and schemers and it pulls back from this little island <coughs> and this little planet, this third rock from the sun and we see not just the little planet but the other planets, we see the little star that we orbit and then we zoom out and we see the whole Milky Way galaxy and its spiral form. We zoom out further and we see all the galaxies spread out. Then we find ourselves in a throne room. And our interviewer starts to go over to the throne. And he takes his microphone towards the throne and he hears a sound. And what's this sound? The one who's in the throne who oversees all of the galaxies. Who sees everything, who measures them like they're like this with the span of his hand. The interviewer hears the sound of laughter. Not because it's funny, but because it's ridiculous. These tiny little bundles of dust on their third piece of dust out from a burning bundle of gas in one universe of billions are shaking their tiny little dusty fists heavenwards as if they can defy the mighty God. God is still sovereign. It's farcical. And his laughter is recorded to give us confidence to expose the folly of these tiny humans and their puny rebellion. 
Do you need to hear God's laughter this evening? We hear the laughter of the world saying, Oh, look at Ireland. They've broken free from the religious moorings. Wonderful, wonderful. We need to be reminded of this great truth that God is not threatened. His plan is not derailed. There are a number of punchlines to bring cheer to God's people. Let me just mention them briefly. We'll do two now and one in a moment. Rebellion is pointless. Do you see? Going back to the uh, opening verses. Why do all the nations rage? People's vain things mastermind. Or in the words that we read, um, why do the people's plot in vain? That's the big picture. It's like an army attacking a battleship (coughs) with bubble machines. You know, how do you plot and conspire against a God who knows everything? That just doesn't work. Rebellion is pointless. And victory is effortless. He who sits in heaven. He's not pacing. He's not checking his Twitter feed and seeing all the results that are coming in from all over Ireland and all over the world and going, oh, look, there's rebellion down on that little planet that's third from that small star over there. He doesn't even get up. He is seated on his throne. He's not anxious. He's not fretful. He's, he's seated in heaven. And he delivers his verdict without even getting up. Yet, according to my will, I have set my king to reign. That's the verdict. He just speaks. He's almighty. He's unstoppable. He's immovable. And here's something to keep us from quivering and despairing when the world rattles its sabers. He wins without effort. And maybe you're wondering, like I've been wondering, (coughs) why did he let this happen? Well, I don't know. I don't have an insight into God's thinking. But I do know that it wasn't because he was too weak. He has his plan, his purpose. And one of the things we see in Scripture is that sometimes he lets people have their own way. He gives them over to their own desires so that they can see what life is like without him. Ireland says, no God, we don't want you. And we've been working and praying for God to show mercy. On this occasion, God has said, no, I'm going to let them have their way so they can see what it's like. And that's a tragic and sad moment for any nation. I think the size of the victory suggests to me that that is what has happened. And yes, we should weep. We should weep for our country and weep for our children, both born and unborn. And we should weep for the fact that mercy hasn't been shown, that he has given us over, but we should not despair. For this truth anchors us. God is still on the throne. The third thing that we see is that Jesus still wins. This third set of verses is speaking about a son who's been begotten and who has been given authority over all the nations. Who is he? Well, our interviewer is now back on planet Earth and he goes to a city and this city has a palace and in the palace there is a king and he has just been crowned. It's a coronation day. And he goes to this king and he says to him, what do you think of all that's going on? And he says, well, I've been installed here by Almighty God. He's my father. And he has given me all the kingdoms of the earth to reign over. Those who bow the knee to me will be my people. 
And those who don't, they'll be destroyed. Jesus still wins. No matter what happens, all the nations have been given to him as an inheritance. This ancient song written a thousand years before Jesus brought great encouragement to the disciples in the New Testament. Over and over again, they realized this is speaking about Jesus and his great victory. And Paul writes to the Philippians and he says that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus is saying through this ancient psalmist that all these peoples belong to me. I've been made their king. Nothing can stop the spread of my kingdom. No plotting and scheming can stand against it. And it's been spreading for 2,000 years. There is no place where he doesn't reign. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And some will do it willingly. Some will do it unwillingly. But all will grasp that Jesus Christ wins. And rebel rulers will withstand Jesus like fine china withstands a wrecking ball. That's what it says. With an iron rod you'll break them, smashing them like earthenware. Those who have smugly rejected the sun, who have engaged in deceit, who have plotted and promulgated lies, who defied God's design for life, who act as if they've outgrown God as a nation, will one day be brought to account because the sun always wins. Remember I said there were three punchlines Rebellion is futile. Victory is effortless. Well, there's a third one I just want to point out here. Defeat isn't the final score. Defeat isn't the final score. In the New Testament, Paul quotes verse 7 and refers it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're a son to me indeed. I've begotten you this day. Paul says, when was it that the Father gave life to the Son? It's the resurrection. Now what happened there? How did the sun win? Well, Good Friday was the gloomiest day for all God's people. It looked like defeat. But what was that defeat? It was the greatest victory the world has ever seen. What looked like defeat was actually the way to victory. Part of God's vast eternal plan. Defeat isn't the final score. It's not the final story. Not even, it's not even that he turned defeat into victory. The nations and the peoples conspired and they plotted against the Lord and his Messiah. And their very plotting and their, their scheming to put him to death was part of the plan by God for victory. How depressing must that be for the enemy? That their very plan of defeat was actually a step towards victory. And that has been that way ever since. In many places across the world. The world does its worst and God uses it for the best. That's the punchline. The sun always wins. Remember that. Hang on to it. And then fourthly, the gospel is still the answer. The gospel is still the answer. In this moment, the interviewer turns to face the camera. And he's not going to interview someone He's doing that piece to camera, providing his own conclusion, his own summing up of the events. And what does he do? He pleads with the people who are watching. 
He pleads with them and he says, Therefore, kings, be wise. Take heed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Son. Mingle trembling with your joy as the Lord you serve in fear. He's pleading with them and saying, You need to get your life in line with with Jesus. You need to get your life in line with God's King because that's the only hope for you. That's the only hope for this world. The gospel is still the answer. Abortion is not a, a root cause. It's a symptom. It's a branch on a tree. But it's not the root of the tree. The root of the tree is the human heart and its rebellion against God. And the only answer to that rebellion is the gospel. That we could have our hearts and lives changed. And that one would come and rescue us from our rebellion and bring us into his loving rule. What do we need to do? The interviewer looks at the camera and he says, Be wise, you citizens of the earth. Be wise, you rulers. And come and bow down in allegiance before this Son of God. Because it doesn't have to be wrath. You can be blessed instead. What a surprising last line. That rebels could be restored and forgiven. And this is one of the things that we need to do as we do many, many other things. As we take a message to this world, our message has to be that rebellion is futile. That the triumph of Jesus is inevitable and that our hearts need to be changed. And we need to give God his proper place in our lives. This last line is surprising in its richness. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's ultimately the only way. You know, we can pull leaves off the tree. That'll not fix the tree. We need to, as well as doing lots of other things, we can puzzle and perplex at why our campaign didn't work, but at the root of it is the human heart. And the gospel's the only thing that can change the human heart. And that's the good news, that it's possible to find refuge. That's the good news that it's possible for rebels to be rescued and restored. We've been campaigning for new life in the womb. Defending new life in the womb. And that's right and good and vital. But there's a deeper new life which we all must have. It's a new life that the Son gives. That's what will cause people to value life in the womb. When they too come under God's rule and God's authority. When they've been made new by the Son. Instead of shaking their fist at God. They bow down and they offer their allegiance to him. And that's the message that we ultimately need to take to our world. We've been blessed by you. And encouraged by you and challenged by you and inspired by you and we've missed out on victory but there is a final victory that we can all be part of this psalm points us forward to it I would like to see us all standing together at that final victory blessed are all who take refuge in him
Have you taken refuge in him? That's how you get to join in this great victory that's spoken of here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this insight from your word to help us be anchored in a world that is twisting and turning and twirling and we could lose our bearings very easily. Father, thank you for the reminder that what we have seen in these last days is nothing new. It's just the age-old story of man wanting to do his own thing and to ignore your ways. Thank you for the reminder that you are not troubled, perplexed or panicking, but that you are seated on the throne in control of every single thing in this universe. Thank you that you are not distant from this universe, but that you have entered into time and history and you have sent a rescuing king in the person of Jesus Christ into our world. A king to, first of all, face judgment so that rebels could be forgiven. And then a king who will come to bring judgment for rebels who have refused forgiveness and to pour out blessing on all who have put their trust in him. And Father, I pray for all here this evening that on that great day of victory, we would have the joy of standing together for all here Lord, I pray that they would be found having put their trust fully in the King who always wins, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would give us a peace and a calm and a confidence, a quiet confidence as we live for you in this world that shakes its fist at you. Help us to see it from heaven's perspective. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.